This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm Amit Ghosh, a general internist at Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. Today's topic is health disparity and disproportionate effect on the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll present some data before introducing our lead speaker. A data from Chicago, May 6, 2020, showed that the rate of COVID-19 cases per 100,000 for Latinos, it was 1,000. For African Americans, it was 925 per 1,000. And for other racial groups, it was 865 per 100,000. And for whites, it was 389 per 100,000. More concerning was the mortality rate, which was even higher in African American and Black individuals. For example, in, from New York City, from May 7, 2020, reported a greater age-adjusted COVID-19 mortality among Latino groups of 187 per 100,000. For African American, the number was 184 per 100,000 compared with whites of 93 per 100,000. Today, we are joined by an expert, Dr. Kenneth Poole, who is medical director of patient experience and chair of patient experience information subcommittee consultant of medicine at the Mayo Clinic Arizona campus, and he works in the Division of Community Internal Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Poole. Good. Yeah, thank you for having me. Dr. Poole, I would like to start with asking you a question on what are the effects of the COVID-19 on the health of racial and ethnic minority groups in the United States? Yeah, so, so the societal impact of COVID-19 has been unprecedented around the world. And um, in, in that sense, it's been somewhat non-discriminatory. But in the United States, however, Black, Latino, and Native American populations have been developing COVID-19 infections and dying at a higher rate than whites, as you pointed out in the statistics that you provided. And again, while no doubt devastating and unfortunate, these trends are actually emblematic of the stark underlying health inequities that exist in our country. Uh, you know, high rates of hypertension, diabetes, obesity, heart disease are certainly contributors to the disproportionate effect of COVID-19 on Black and other represented minority populations, but there are other factors as well. And, and many of those other factors affect the aforementioned risk factors. And I, and I think that's where social determinants of health come into play. And that was problematic pre-COVID-19. And I just think that the current pandemic has simply illuminated that issue. I think you did mention the word pre-COVID and that is so important. These factors have been there for decades and they're progressively getting worse. Looks like with the evidence-based era and all the guidelines that we have and all the progresses we have, we have made over the years in our country and many other countries, something got forgotten, something got completely overlooked. I would say it's probably the biggest blind spot in our era that COVID-19 uncovered. But I would like to, you've been researching on these aspects and you've spoken a lot. I've, I've followed your writings, you've written about this quite a lot. What were the factors that are contributing to the healthcare disparities in US and many other countries? So, you know, before COVID, you know, it's been documented, you know, per CDC data uh, that the life expectancy for African-Americans 
has lagged behind that of white Americans. And, and uh, even when you look at the age-adjusted death rate of non-Hispanic Blacks versus that of non-Hispanic whites, you'll find that for nine of the 15 leading causes of death, there is a, a higher rate uh, amongst the non-Hispanic non Black group. And that includes things such as heart disease, malignant neoplasms or cancer, cerebrovascular disease or stroke, diabetes, kidney disease, and hypertension. And you know, the, the root of these health disparities, as I was alluding to before, is poor social determinants of health. And you know, what, what are those things? That includes high housing density, crime rates and incarceration, poor access to healthy foods, lower socioeconomic status, which is fueled by disparities in education and income and wealth. Uh, I think factors such as underrepresentation amongst healthcare providers is also something that could be added to that. And then uh, stress from systemic and direct racism should be factored in. And, and that's something that's gotten a lot of attention here in our country in the last several weeks. I was, I was really intrigued uh, by an article which I read in JAMA by Yancey. Uh, and we talk about social distancing. And what, what she wrote is that social distancing is a privilege yeah and the and the ability to isolate in a safe home work remotely with digital access and sustain monthly income are components of this privilege so a big thing which who put up and uh, you know our administration put up cdc put up is social distancing why is this not possible with the social determinants of health and the situations uh, take us in the mindset take us to the location where our brothers are staying uh, and they are suffering because of this inability to social distance. On theory, it seems so appropriate, uh, but why is it not possible? Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up the article by uh, Clyde Yancey and, and Gamma, which I think was an outstanding uh, article that gave a good overview of issues related to race and ethnicity and health disparities and how all of that is intertwined and again, illuminated in the wake of the COVID pandemic. But, uh, you know, again, you know, I go back to the social determinants of health and, and they make, you know, the very things that protect us against COVID very difficult. Again, you know, you brought up the social distancing and amongst COVID-19 preventive strategies, social distancing has been shown to be the most effective with the highest level of evidence. You know, when you compare it to all of the different um, recommendations and interventions that have been put out there. But, you know, when you talk about occupations that allow for telework, the ability to absorb reduced or temporarily absent incomes, homes with amenities and resources that allow for comfortable sheltering in place, however you define that, spacious communities that provide an opportunity for exercise and other healthy outdoor activities, again, communities that have adequate resources as it pertains to, you know, again, home goods and products, healthy foods, and, uh, you know, again, you know, large and adequate uh, quantities and amounts of such, you know, those are all things that are essentially privileges, as, as Yancey pointed out, that are not readily afforded to minority populations to the degree or to the extent that they are to white populations. And so, you know, when you talk about a group of people or groups of people that are number one, you know, more predisposed to COVID infection just by the basis of risk factors and again, you know, social determinants of health, 
you, in turn, you also have those same social determinants of health that make it so that those people can't even protect themselves uh, adequately from that same disease. So one of the thing which I, I read also uh, is the systemic racism, uh, which we are only now currently talking more about, but more so uh, what has been written about the factors like the historic and ongoing discrimination, which has happened over the years. This has caused a lot of chronic stress on our minority population and people who have been living under these very close-knit housing units facing difficulties. But what is most important, what I read about is this chronic stress has, what one of the writers was talking about, it affects the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, it decreases your immune system, and they describe a phenomenon of weathering, which means our brothers and sisters are getting older, are looking older, and they're picking up these chronic diseases like like diabetes and hypertension, but the ability to fight it, normally you would say have good food, uh, live in a stress-free environment, do exercise, clean air, clean water, and all the things, these are not working. And COVID completely exposed us in a way which no other illness has done. In fact, it might be the biggest blessing that we have had to bring to the forefront this discussion of systemic racism, and disparity because we, there was a talk about disparity going on, research on disparity going on. The FDA has and the CDC has a lot of uh, writings on it, but nothing exposed us. And as you said in your opening statement that COVID is completely non-discriminatory. It did not spare any group, but staying safe from COVID or protecting yourself from COVID depends on where you're living. Social, social distancing, itself has become such a, a, a privilege to be socially distant. Sure. It's, it's more than a talk. So what are the other factors uh, do you think got unraveled uh, and got more noticeable because of the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, you know, again, you know, I, I use that term unearthed, but you know, a lot of these things that have been kind of there in the background or beneath the surface are, are now coming to light and we're able to have these discussions. Um, and I think, you know, again, prior to, to all of this, again, there was a recognition that increased risk of, you know, heart disease and diabetes and high blood pressure and those type of things make people more susceptible to um, other illnesses. We see the same thing when you talk about people being more susceptible to uh, viruses such as influenza or um, bacterial respiratory infections such as pneumonias. However, I think all too often a lot of those things were thought to be uh, due to lifestyle, genetics, and or chance. Um, and, and, and what we're seeing now is, again, that it's not that simple and that there are other factors that, quite frankly, are rooted in race and racism in our country that are at play. And until we fix those factors, uh, you'll still have these groups that are highly susceptible to uh, pandemics and disease such as COVID-19, unfortunately. So one of the things which we teach in every medical school is evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, we write a guideline which deals with the average way we look at people, but somehow uh, each of these guidelines which we look at, whether it's heart failure or hypertension, misses out on the social determinants of health. I mean, only mm -hmm. now we have a health system engineering and health, I mean, health sciences, which is looking at it, 
But if you look at all the guidelines, they are not looking at the local factors. None of the guidelines are involving, to an extent, they are right now, but not that extent, the stakeholders going and asking the people in the communities to be patient advocates and bringing them to the guidelines that say, hey, why do you think this guidelines is going to work or not work? How do you think we can fix that problem? Because all these guidelines are written and it's still our blood pressures are, are not corrected and the diabetes, if somebody is not able to go to the hospital, somebody is not able to go buy their insulin, somebody's, a mother is not able to get healthy food for the child, what can a guideline help? I mean, these yeah, no, right. you know, again, this time brings up an interesting opportunity. And, you know, there's been a lot of literature and podcasts and discussions, Zoom meetings and virtual meetings and whatnot around uh, this very topic and identifying uh, the root causes uh, and the problems. And again, bringing some of these issues to light. But again, as you've gotten that, I think it's time for us to start acting and start finding solutions. I think where the opportunity lies for again the healthcare industry, for uh, social services industry, for education as well, is in implementing programs and then cycling back and 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 looking at the outcomes of those programs. So not just doing things for for splash, if you will, or for imagery, but uh, doing things that have a meaningful impact. And the way in which you do that is that you look at outcomes and you hold people accountable. You, you're absolutely right. It's, it's what we do, the actions now, rather than our words, uh, right. which have fallen flat and which will always fall flat if the actions don't back up our words. My question would be, it's a very complex problem. I know we are not going to solve in this podcast, but if you had all the options available, what can be done to decrease health disparity going forward when you look at the local level or the federal level? and in our own community level, what, what can we do? I mean, instead of we can feel helpless or we can do something now that we have started looking at it with, with this clear cut lens. Certainly, so I mean, you know, in terms of solutions, I think we first need to recognize that we collectively have an issue. Again, and I think that, that you heard a lot of that in, in, in a lot of the rhetoric and I think that's been a good thing where people are saying, okay, it's not just a black issue or not just a Latino issue or not just a Native American issue, this is an American issue. Um, and so I think that, you know, first recognizing that we collectively have an issue and that those populations, black population, Latino population, Native American population, other underrepresented medicine and underrepresented minority populations need resources and targeted interventions that address social determinants of health. And when I mean targeted interventions, I, I mean population-specific interventions. The things that you may do in inner city Detroit or St. Louis or Chicago may be different from the interventions that you do in South Los Angeles or in, on a Native American reservation. So again, I think that, that the solutions need to be uh, targeted. Uh, on a local, state, federal uh, level, I think there needs to be development and, and investment in programs that address the following. I mean, you think about family units, uh, housing, police, judicial and criminal justice reform, nutrition and food availability, education, vocational training and job preparedness, wealth and estate planning, uh, and even minority physician pipeline programming. Those are the types of things that need to be emphasized. And I think funding should be earmarked for these causes and as I was you know, speaking to earlier, there has to be follow-up, there has to be accountability, 
there has to be outcomes assessments on regular basis to ensure that these uh, initiatives are having the desired effect and or to learn from any missteps. I think simultaneously, and this is again one of the other parts we talk about both sides of the coin, our country needs to continue to work towards dismantling racist systems um, and also continue to work at you know, dismantling both implicit and explicit bias. And you know, that's done through focused and protective legislation and educational interventions and training. You've achieved a lot. I mean, you are, you are at, the, at the peak of your career, you're speaking a lot, but I have patients who come to me and said, doc, I want to see a, a doctor who looks like me. I have difficulty expressing to you because it's an implicit, they don't mention it, but we would like to have more black students join healthcare. Both black students go through the experience and there are brilliant students who are there who are going into other kind of industry like finance and other things. What can you do or what can I do as people who are in this business of taking care of people in the health industry? I know you have written about it. What sure, can I sure. do? How can I answer to a patient who says, doc, I want to see a doctor of my color? Sure. So, so, so I think a couple of different things are at play. I think as it pertains to um, request for uh, physicians based on race, or, race or, or, or ethnicity, you know, again, that brings up a somewhat delicate uh, situation because you you want to make sure that you are not giving, um, you know, again, permission for um, you know harmful discrimination, um, uh, bias, or, or, or racism. Uh, but at the same time, I think again, you know, the current environment has showed us that it's time to uh, look outside of the box and explore some of our policies and look at some of these requests, you know, in, in a different light. And when you talk about, again, just speaking specifically for African-American patients and, and particularly African-American males, there's been data to show that not only do those patients have a better experience when they interact with physicians of their same race or ethnicity, uh, which is something that's actually seen across the board for all races or ethnicities, but those folks utilize healthcare services to a greater extent. And there, there's even been you know, evidence to show that this can have measurable uh, health outcomes. And again, it comes back to health outcomes and improving health disparities and health inequity. And so you talk about again, those focused and targeted interventions, that's something that has been shown to improve the health of a population. And so for us to ignore that, out of, you know, again, fear of exploring some of these ideas, or even the concept of white fragility, I think is, is borderline immoral. Those are things that we're gonna have to explore going forward. I think the, the second part of your question, when you talk about preparing or, 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 or how do we, you know, obtain more minority physicians in the, uh, you know, healthcare provider workforce, I think, you know, it goes back to that programming and those initiatives. I think, you know, and, and I like to look at things as, as, as two sides. I, I think you, you have the supply side and then, and, then, and then you have the education side, the education side being the institutions and whatnot. On the supply side, which is the community side, programs that have been shown to adequately expose minority youth um, and young folks and, and young adults to health and, and science and, uh, you know, robust academic collegiate programs that prepare them 
for uh, medical school need to be emphasized. And, you know, in addition to that, again, we know medical school is extremely competitive. We know that there are issues um, as it pertains to, again, uh, minority students having, whether it be test scores or the applications put together in a manner that competes with uh, those of uh, white students and even Asian students. I think that programs that focus on the preparation piece um, and really bring those minority students up to speed need to be uh, emphasized and funded. Those programs will only work though, you know, again, when, when, you, when you really uh, attack the social determinants of health as well, because again, a lot of those things, those aren't health things, those are community-based things that will then allow again, minority students to be more competitive as a whole. Then on the supply side, I mean, on the, on the institutional side rather, there has to be a commitment. And quite frankly, you know, we found that institutions get a little lazy as it pertains to minority and diversity uh, recruitment. And you know, again, we need to look at targeted groups and do targeted recruitment and targeted retention and making sure that, you know, again, the institutions and admissions committees really hone in and focus on uh, groups that are underrepresented in medicine and ensure that, that they really put forth an effort to recruit those populations and retain those populations and develop those populations into uh, physicians that will then go out and uh, not only service their communities, but, but will be colleagues to physicians of all races and ethnicities so that cultural competency is enhanced and that, uh, so that bias, whether it be implicit or explicit, is reduced. Thank you, Dr. Poole. You really mentioned uh, a lot of things right from the local effect, from where the patient is staying, to the social determinants of health, to what local and federal governments can do, what individuals can do, and how students can come. Uh, it's a big journey. It's a big journey, and I'm sure uh, you're going to be an active part of it, as I am going to be, and many of us are, because what is coming up to the forefront that the health of a country is completely dependent on the health of the people who are staying in the country. Sure. The health of the people are all our brothers and sisters, regardless of the color. And being colorblind is not to our, it's probably the most unhealthy habit. And that's probably what we are going to dispense. But it's a very complex thing which you brought up. I thank you uh, profoundly for the insights that you have given on how to take the student. If you Think about it, it takes a whole village to raise one medical student from the time they get in to graduate. So that same kind of community building and support has to be there for student of color to be identified early, provided and nurtured, and pushed to the, to the level of a graduating doctor and beyond. Because what a profound change they are going to bring in the whole community. They're going to be leaders and they're going to change it. I, like you, like you, are very uh, hopeful. The work is on. The only thing, I'm not happy that COVID happened, uh, but the only thing which COVID brought about is it cleared up some of the fog that had settled in our glasses on how we looked at several of these things which are been there in our community, the health disparities, and there's a huge talk going on. And as you just mentioned, every aspect of the community, right from profiling to policing to food and shelters, uh, which we take for granted. If you have not been in that community, it's so vital to the health of the community. And I think it'll, even if you start today, it'll take a, take a while. 
but at least it'll start. So today's discussion was on health disparities and disproportionate effect on COVID pandemic. I thank you for your time, Dr. Kenneth Cole. Great, thank you. If you've enjoyed the Mayo Clinic podcast, please subscribe, stay healthy, and I'll see you back next week.